So the reading is from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 23, on page 1089. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Thanks, Helen. Do keep that uh, passage open in front of you. And uh, we're going to be beginning today uh, a few weeks uh, exploring together the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, this little passage at the end of John, uh, towards the end of John's Gospel, is a great place to start. Uh, for no small matter that, of course, it takes us back a week uh, in our year to Easter Sunday. Uh, this is uh, the evening of that very first day of the week, as uh, John describes it, meaning the day of Jesus' resurrection, and Jesus comes and he appears to his disciples. And it's actually a really important thing that we don't run on too quickly. Right, done Easter, and now we're, we're zooming on. Actually, for the disciples, there are all those days to follow of time with Jesus, time alongside him uh, before his ascension into heaven. It's also a great place to start, though, with the Holy Spirit, because actually in these very few words, these very few sentences, John packs in so much that you might describe as a little bit of a primer on the work and the person of the Holy Spirit. Actually, the Holy Spirit is one of these parts of uh, talking about faith that is very easy to allow to sort of just slip past in conversation and to never quite pin down who he is or what he does the sort of thing that we think of as being for maybe the experienced or the enthusiastic Christians, or just simply words invoked in a bit of liturgy. Actually, these few words take us right to the heart of who he is and what he does, and uh, it's a great primer. But actually, most of all, these few words remind us that the Holy Spirit is the one who shows us and makes true the fact that the Christian faith isn't like any other way of seeing the world, any other faith, any other worldview, any other approach to reality. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who shows us and makes true the fact that to be a Christian is not simply to believe a set of truths, though it is that, that it's not simply a way of life, though it is that, and it's certainly not simply just looking back to some great historical teacher of great truths that we want to honor in our memory. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes real and who reminds us that at the heart of the Christian faith is relationship, is relationship with the God whom we meet in Jesus Christ. Now, if you think about the context for this, these particular sentences, we've had these disciples who have been with Jesus for three years. Now, don't forget, they're, they're not simply learners of a truth. They're not simply followers of a way of life. They're not simply sort of uh, being inducted into some esoteric religion. Actually, they are disciples. And disciple means one who learns by being with a teacher. It's a with word. It's a relationship word. They were people who had spent day and night for three years with Jesus. They were his friends. He calls them that. He says, you are my friends. 
And what they were starting to try and work through was, how is life going to work now? Now, okay, they had got past those 48 hours of just utter devastation, thinking that their friend, their rabbi, their one that they followed was dead. Now they'd met him alive, raised from the dead. But they still had to ask the question, well, what does life look like from now? And over those next few weeks, as Jesus prepared them for his departure back to go and be with his father, that question kept coming again. Well, what does life look like now? Is it just simply a case of remembering what Jesus taught and believing that? Well, no. Is it simply a case of trying to do what Jesus did, but this time we're doing it on our own? Well, no. Is it somehow that we're simply going to be a sort of historical reenactment society, looking back to some great event in our past and reenacting it for others? Absolutely not. What we find here is that the Holy Spirit is the one who makes that relationship with Jesus that they had enjoyed face-to-face, if you like, for three years, real in their lives and in our lives for the years to come. God's empowering presence. And actually, the very first thing that we see sort of beating at the heart of these few sentences is that that's true because the Holy Spirit is actually the Spirit of Jesus. He is the one who makes Jesus known to us. Now, when Jesus mentioned the Holy Spirit, he wasn't talking about something that they'd never heard of before. This wasn't a new concept for them. These weren't new words for them. Uh, They were people who'd been following uh, the God that they knew through their father Abraham and through all their ascendants for years and years because the Holy Spirit is mentioned throughout the Old Testament. But he's always a very mysterious figure. You first come across the Holy Spirit in literally the second sentence of the whole of the Bible. Genesis 1, verse 2. The Spirit of God was hovering over the chaos of the waters. It's very clear that the Old Testament sees the Spirit as being God's uh, empowering presence at work in creation. But you also see the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament anointing particular people for particular jobs at particular times. So, for example, right at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, as Moses gets ready to die and to leave God's people in the hands of someone else, Moses, the one who's led the people out of slavery in Egypt and through the the wilderness right to the edge of the Promised Land, Moses lays hands on Joshua, he prays for him, and the the Old Testament says that this God's spirit of wisdom rests upon Joshua and anoints him for service. So the Holy Spirit himself wasn't new to these disciples. But what was new was that this Spirit of God wasn't mysterious anymore. He was God's Spirit who was the Spirit of Jesus. Jesus, it says, verse 22, breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, it's worth saying that John, when he wrote his gospel, knew very well that the day of Pentecost within this narrative was still to come. Those who were reading his gospel, John himself, as he wrote it, knew that on the day of Pentecost, some 40 days after this day, that was when God's Holy Spirit was poured out on all people. In a few weeks' time, when we get to the day of Pentecost on June the 9th, we're going to focus on that. But John wants to put a spotlight on this conversation because if you like, Jesus, it looks like, is acting out a parable to explain what's going to come. He wants them to make the connection between that gift of God's spirit, his presence given to them on the day of Pentecost, and Jesus himself. In other words, this spirit, this presence of God that's going to be given to all people 
who will receive him is the spirit of knowing Jesus, the spirit of Jesus himself. And what we find is that these disciples are given this promise that just as they've walked with Jesus for three years and known him as their friend, that they go, are going to be able to continue knowing him as their friend. That just as they have walked with Jesus for three years, they're now going to be able to walk with Jesus even as he's ascended to be with his Father in heaven. Because the Spirit of Jesus, Jesus' very presence, is going to be on them, is going to be with them. He gives us two little nudges, I guess, as we think about the Holy Spirit. And the first is a litmus test for anyone who claims to be living in, working in, preaching in, acting in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because actually throughout the New Testament, the Holy Spirit's number one job is to point people to, to introduce people to Jesus. He makes Jesus known. He gives us the chance to know Jesus personally. So it gives us a a litmus test to say, well, is this ministry, is this church, is this prayer, is this action in the end pointing people to Jesus? If it's not, then it's not the work of the Holy Spirit because that's the Holy Spirit's first job, to make Jesus known. But the second nudge is, if you like, a question to me and a question to you personally, which is to say, This is a promise Jesus made to his friends, the disciples, and through them makes to you and to me, which is this. Jesus offers you the chance to know him personally. It's worth letting that sink in for a moment, isn't it? Because religion in general is mostly about knowing stuff, believing stuff, and doing stuff. What do I know? What do I believe? What do I do? But actually, at the heart of the Christian faith, is quite a different question. It's about whom do I know? Who is my relationship with? And in Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, we are offered this astonishing thought, this astonishing gift, that we are given the opportunity to know God personally, to meet the God who has made all things and who has walked with us in the person of Jesus Christ, to know him today by the power of the Holy Spirit. So nothing is more important than asking that question. Do you know God personally? Not do you know everything about him. Not do you never have any doubts. Not are there never any questions. But do you know that you're his friend? Have you met God in Jesus by his spirit? And on one level, one could imagine, well, okay, maybe that's true for a few individuals. Maybe that was true for these friends of Jesus back then. Maybe it was true for people like Moses and Joshua and, uh, and Queen Esther and, and these great famous heroes of faith. But could that be true for me? I'm a million miles away from God. I don't know enough about God. I don't do enough good stuff. I'm not a holy person. Couldn't possibly be for me. But I think that's the second reason why John is so keen to shine a spotlight on this acted-out parable of Jesus as he, as he sort of symbolizes giving them the Holy Spirit in his breath. And that is because actually the giving of the Holy Spirit to you is only possible because of what Jesus had just done. The giving of the Holy Spirit is done, is given through the death and resurrection of Jesus 
Verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And verse 21, and again, Jesus said, peace be with you. That word peace actually was a very common uh, Jewish greeting of the time, shalom. But that's a word that packs an enormous punch from a Bible point of view. It actually means far more than just, I hope you're feeling peaceful. And it means far more than just, I hope you're doing well, or how are you? Actually, on Jesus' lips, it was the, the, the gift that came out of what he had achieved on the cross and in his resurrection. Because shalom fundamentally means wholeness, put-togetherness, made newness. Do you remember on Easter Sunday, we were celebrating the fact that when Jesus died and rose from the dead, it wasn't that Jesus was simply mend, so that God was mending something that would just break again, as if Jesus was just resuscitated that would then have to die again. No, we were celebrating the fact that actually when Jesus rose from the dead, God was starting something brand new, that Jesus was the firstborn from among the dead, that he was beginning a whole new creation. There was a, a wholeness, a putting togetherness, a newness that in Jesus' resurrection was a promise to you and me. It was the promise that all that brokenness we experience in our own lives, in the lives of our families, of our community, of our world, all that brokenness isn't simply being mended here or there only to be broken again. No, that in Jesus' resurrection, there is a brand new start, a promise of a new future that begins now. And that shalom, that wholeness, comes into being, is tasted here and now through the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's job is to bring a taste of that future when God puts all things right, when the whole of creation is shalom, is whole, is right, is perfect, is made new. The Spirit's job is to bring a taste of that shalom, that wholeness, into our lives now today. That's why when we pray for healing for somebody, we're not praying for God to do a magic trick. We're not praying for God simply to mend somebody a bit. What we're praying is that they would have a taste by God's Spirit of that future which is already theirs, which Jesus has gained for them by the cross and resurrection. Because he died, because he took on himself the whole brokenness of the whole world, and because in rising again, he brought to that brokenness a whole new start, a resurrection life. Because of his death and resurrection, there is a promise for you that your brokenness is not forever, that you won't have to just go on to the end of your life, patching things up, and then it's over, but that there is a new life that begins now, we only taste it. Now, we see, to use Paul's words, through a glass darkly. We don't get it all now. There, there's plenty of brokenness to be experienced. There's plenty, plenty of heartache and pain to go through. But we know that we begin to taste now that which is to come. And how does that happen? Why does it happen? By God's Holy Spirit. Why would you want to live? Why would I want to live without his Holy Spirit at work in us? What would we miss out on? Well, we'd miss out on knowing God personally in Jesus, being his friend. And we'd miss out on all that Jesus has done, all that he's achieved on the cross, taking our brokenness and pain, the brokenness of this world, and bringing to us a taste of the life of the world to come. In the Old Testament, that little taste of the future was only for a few and only for a bit. 
in the New Testament, we find that in Jesus, that taste of the world to come, that taste of knowing God personally, is for you. And if you ever doubt that, go back to this story. Because remember who Jesus is with at this moment. He's with his disciples. Now, that sounds great. I mean, you think, well, they were, you know, they were the bee's knees. They were the disciples. Actually, no, they were terrified. They'd abandoned Jesus. Some of them had denied him. And they'd now gone into a locked room because they were terrified of being arrested themselves. And yet it's to them, to those frightened, doubting, failing followers of Jesus, that Jesus comes and says, receive my Holy Spirit. So the next time you think this gift of the Holy Spirit is for somebody else and not for you, remember this story. Remember to whom Jesus first promised the Spirit. They were failures. They'd had the best experience of God anybody had ever had. They'd had three years, day and night, with Jesus, and they still denied him. They still ran away from him. They still failed him. They were still utterly terrified. And it's to them, the biggest failures you could possibly imagine, that Jesus promises his Holy Spirit. So what about you? Have you said yes to the God who wants you to know him personally? Have you said yes to the God who wants to fill you with himself, to begin that work of remaking and making new? And then there's one final thing here. Because as Jesus makes that promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit, of being able to go on being his friends, of being able to receive a taste of that new life that's to come, he also gives them a job to do. There's that... uh, For those of you who are into your uh, superhero films, there's that Spider-Man line. With great power comes great. Yeah, I thought a few of you would know that line. Uh, Actually, that's sort of what the Bible says too. With great power comes a great job. Comes great responsibility. Comes a mission. Because as he promises them the Holy Spirit, he commissions them for service. He's basically saying to these disciples, you know what you've done with me and seen me do? Well, the what next is you're going to go on doing that. That's why there are these very strange words in that final verse. I wonder whether you bumped on them as Helen was reading them for us. Verse 23, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, This doesn't mean that Jesus is somehow promising some sort of slightly terrifying supernatural superhero gift of being able to, you know, zap some people with unforgiveness and give other people the gift of forgiveness. Not at all. It's defined and shaped by what he says earlier, which is where he says in verse 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. In other words, the Holy Spirit's job is to give us the same sort of sending as Jesus had. And Jesus came with good news. The good news of the offer of God's forgiveness and a fresh start. But also the good news of making really clear what is right and what is wrong. And the language that Jesus uses here that's translated here as if you do not forgive them has much more to do with a sort of uh, a retaining of sin and making clear what is wrong. And that if you're able to give people the gift of good news of saying to them, you have the offer of forgiveness, you are both on the one hand shining a light into the dark place of our need for God. If you like, making clear the problem of sin, making clear the brokenness of this world, making clear the problem of being unforgiven. 
But at the same time, not to a different set of people, but at the same time, you are also giving people the offer of a fresh start, the offer of forgiveness, the offer of being set free. That's your mission, should you choose to accept it, if you want another film reference. That's what the Holy Spirit comes to do. We aren't sent out on our own to get on and do stuff. Like the disciples who'd spent three years with Jesus, they are now told, don't worry, you're going to be with me in the years to come. My Holy Spirit is going to come alongside you. It's going to breathe life into you. And with me, you're going to carry on doing the things I was doing, telling people the good news of my life and death and resurrection. Do you know that as you wake up tomorrow morning, the glory that is Monday morning, do you know that the most important job you have to do that day is this job? That you are filled with God's Spirit for a purpose. And whether you're changing nappies, whether you're waiting at the school gate, whether you're sitting in a boardroom, whether you're tapping away at a computer, whether you're being a creative artist, whether you're simply talking with friends and having coffee, whatever it is you're doing tomorrow morning, right at the beating heart of that is meant to be the good news of Jesus. In you, working through you, offering people a chance of a new start, of knowing God personally for themselves, of being shaped from the inside out by his Holy Spirit. That gift is for you. And the simple question is, have you said yes? Not are you perfect, not are you good, not are you holy, not are you particularly religious, nor even do you understand it all, but simply have you said yes. And if you've said yes, have you remembered to say yes today? We're ever so good on running on the dregs of yesterday, or in last month, or in last year, or of last decade. But as God fills me with the Holy Spirit, I know he needs to fill me every day. We're going to come to communion in a moment. It's the perfect place, if you like, to enact out our response to this offer. Because it takes us to the foot of the cross and to the banquet of resurrection. It reminds us that this Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus who is given to us because Jesus took the full brokenness of this world upon himself and in his resurrection made possible God's new life. So as you come forward whether you're coming forward to put out your hands to receive the bread and the wine, whether you're bowing your head to have a prayer of blessing, you have the opportunity, if you would like, to simply say yes to receiving from God. It might be for the thousandth time. Still need to do it. It might be for the first time. Do it anyway. See what God does as he pours upon us his lavish gift of his empowering presence. And then over these next 11 or 12 weeks, as we dive back into the Gospels, as we dive forward in some of Paul's letters, as we dive uh, as far forward as we can into the book of Revelation, as we explore who the Holy Spirit and what he does, each week we're simply going to have that opportunity to say yes to the God who gives himself to us. So as we prepare to come to communion, let's just be still. Let's uh, respond in our own hearts. Let's say what it is we need to say to him. And let's prepare to receive from him.